Welcome to episode 59 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, and each week, at least during more normal times, I publish a new episode with a new climate champion as my guest. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at www.crevatenergyinnovations.com. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the grid. This week, my featured guest is George Ashton III, Managing Director of Strategic Investments at LISC, that's the Local Initiatives Support Corporation, the founder of Hope Impact Investments, and co-founder of Soul Systems. Together with residents and partners, LISC forges resilient and inclusive communities of opportunity across America, great places to live, work, visit, do business, and raise families. George leads multidimensional impact investing efforts, pursuing a range of strategic investments that create jobs, fuel small businesses, revitalize commercial areas, improve housing, expand local incomes, and make communities safer and stronger. My discussion with George was my first Zoom-based podcast interview, and also the first interview I've done since shelter-in-place rules started. I'm excited to reboot the climate champions by leveraging remote-enabling technologies, and of course, I'm using them to stay connected to the people I care about. In this time of uncertainty, please be careful. I'm sure you all know these precautions already, but they bear repeating. Maintain physical distancing, keep at least six feet of distance from others, wear a protective mask when in public, and avoid crowds as much as possible. Wash your hands frequently and try not to touch your face, and if you have a fever, a cough, or difficulty breathing, seek medical care early. We're all in this together. While being careful and alert, please be supportive and kind. Also, thank the people that are taking personal risks to keep our world moving forward. And if you are one of those people, thank you very, very much. I had the pleasure of working with George during his tenure as president of Soul Systems, which he co-founded. Currently, he serves on Soul Systems' board of advisors, with yours truly, and is on the board of directors. Together with the CEO, Yuri Horwitz, check out episode 10, George grew the company from an SREC aggregator in 2008 to a full-service solar energy finance investment and development firm serving some of the country's largest corporations, institutions, and municipalities. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Cravat. I'm here with George Ashton III. He's the Managing Director of Strategic Investments for LISC. That's the Local Initiatives Support Corporation. He's also the founder of Hope Impact Initiatives and co-founder of Soul Systems. George, welcome to the Climate Champions. Oh, thanks, Lee. Good to catch up. This is the first Zoom interview that I'm doing, so thank you for being willing to be the first on this. I appreciate the resilience of your efforts here. Even in the pandemic, we're going to talk about some important things. Yeah, well, I've been down about a month, maybe a little bit more than that, so I'm coming back right now. Awesome. With regards to climate change, and we're going to talk a little bit, of course, we can't ignore it about the coronavirus, but first let's get into climate change. 
Can you talk about your motivating moment? What first got you excited about doing something with regards to climate change mitigation? You know what? I'll be honest with you. I've always been someone who loved the outdoors. I loved beaches growing up, vacation outside. I don't think I really took in how much it meant to me until you know, I met my co-founder, Yuri Horowitz, and we started talking about the importance of just being outside. And I remember for his bachelor party, you think of a bachelor party and to that okay, point Okay, don't in my say life, anything that you don't want to be, right. be listened to I, by a I lot of you. people. I got you. At that point in my life, it would meant something different to me. And for his, we went out and went out in the woods and went hiking. It really roughed it, actually. Like, took off our boots and walked through cold water and hiked up a mountain and uh, got rained on and snowed on and... And it was cold at night and I came back and I felt just different. I felt like a different person. I felt like a part of me had been sort of renewed that I didn't usually feel, certainly after a bachelor party weekend. So I think that all sort of factored into this sort of understanding of the importance of nature to the human experience and to our mental sanity and, and all those things. And then, of course, that coincided with shortly after we had sort of talking about creating this business, Soul Systems, and conceptualizing that together. So those are some of my aha moments about how important the environment is to the human experience. I was recently looking out at the canyons in San Diego during these times, and I was thinking about how beautiful it is and what a shame it is that we're not taking more care of it. We're building more and more homes on it. And I know my wife will always remind me, hey, well, we got our home <laughs> because something was destroyed. <laughs> but I think it's time that we figure out a way to retain some of this. Yeah. To be frank, that might get at the sort of core of the issue, which is, you know, it's very challenging. It's not challenging to think about the sacrifices that others should make so that <laughs> the environment is maintained. But it's certainly challenging to think about your own sacrifices and, and what you should be doing differently. In general, in my life, I try to sort of employ a needing less and less and less uh, is a good thing. And so feasibly, you know, increasing density into more concentrated areas, which will allow for more green space is a concept that I'm a very big fan of. But I live in a fairly large multi-bedroom house in a suburb of Washington, D.C. So am I even following my own strategy? I think there's a lot of other factors that come into that with kids and schools and everything else. And so once they get out, I'm definitely looking to move back into something like that. But uh, my wife isn't. So where will we come out? I think, yeah, you're right. The personal choices we have to make for the sacrifices that are necessary to not be parasites on this planet is where the rubber meets the road, economics and otherwise. So you mentioned your wife and your family. Can you talk about why climate change mitigation is personally important to you? I mean, and you also talked about you know, your love of nature, but can you go more into depth on that? Yeah, I mean, you almost don't even like to spend time looking at the data that would sort of extrapolate forward and give you an understanding of what the world will be like in 100, 200 years if we don't sort of change the trajectory of things. And then, frankly, I don't like to think about it because it feels completely overwhelming. And so I think the education my kids receive in school is leap years beyond the education I receive with respect to conservation and sustainability so it's nice to see them having those practices and putting them in play, but also understand that there's a whole lot more we have to do to get back to a net zero, not doing a whole lot of harm to the planet situation. So I think for me, you know, you're right. It is about your family. It is about the future of the planet and how your next generations will survive in the environment that we create. So that's how it's personal. My daughter and I, my younger daughter and I were recently talking about climate change 
and it just hit her how big a deal this is, especially when looking at the coronavirus and all these things that can happen and how society expects things to just be the same as it was and that it's not going to have these horrific things happen. And she really challenged me to promise that I would do everything I could to help mitigate myself. And so I'm going to be starting up a couple of new activities that she's going to help me with. Yeah, she had the freak out moment. That's the moment that you really look at the data and you look at what's supposed to happen and you just freak out. You're like, whoa, there's a collision about to occur here and we are not ready for it. And we were not trying to get ready for it fast enough. And it's so interesting. It's back to, you know, you ask like, okay, we're smart. We've evolved as a society. Why do we see this collision about to occur and why don't we change our direction? There's so many other things that go into that equation from Maslow's hierarchy to education around the country and who knows what. And we just have not set ourselves up. The past sins of inequity and opportunity and equity and education are all catching up to us and now making it harder for us to sort of redirect a very big ship in a new direction. Now I need some whiskey, actually. (laughs) I have a glass right here, by the way. (laughs) When you meet somebody that doesn't understand the impact of climate change and doesn't even maybe believe that it's something that's real, doesn't understand the data, how do you communicate with them about it to try to convince them otherwise? I mean, first of all, I don't blame them. Uh, I think that's probably a really big point and something that, frankly, educated liberals get accused of too often and probably do a fair bit of, which is, you know, you're an idiot. Why don't you know any better? I think this is, again, getting back to the inequities around education and all everything else that sort of factors into that. So appreciation for what they haven't been exposed to is where you have to start. But, you know, like anything else, you can try to convince somebody of something, you sort of try to create analogies that work for them, or you try to point them to how important the environment really is to them or to the importance it will have to their future kids. Trying to go the scientific route for someone who's not sort of caught up on those conversations is typically not the way to go. Anecdotal routes can also work in talking about the occurrence of dramatic issues or even the dramatic changes in weather patterns, right, that they may have experienced. So you try to bring it home for them and then analogize it in certain ways and then maybe talk about some solutions that make sense for them. But it is not an easy battle. And frankly, the news environment, the media environment, communications environment have made it even harder because now it's become politicized in a way that's not helpful to anybody. So now I'm going to ask a new question that I haven't been asking on the podcast, and that is, how do you think that the coronavirus has impacted your perception of climate change and climate change mitigation? It's interesting. I'll start with this, just to be honest, getting back to Maslow's hierarchy, when it comes to people dying, I'm not sure that the environment is the first thing I thought about. I probably thought more about, you know, how we interact as a country and as a world and how we go about trying to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And I'll get into some deep thoughts on that in a little bit. But getting back to your question about how does it tie to the environment, I think it's a <laughs> an incredibly apropos analogy or a foretelling of what could and will likely happen systematically as we start to face uh, similar pandemic-like challenges from the environmental effects that may come or that will come. I think the analogies are there, but I will be honest with you, it's probably difficult to focus on them right now because... You're just focused on who's dying and, and who's living and all that stuff, as opposed to thinking about the environment. I'm hoping that as a result of sort of the coordination that we're having to put forward, that we may be able to draw some parallels to coordination that would be helpful to the environment as well. 
But my fear is it may be a little while before people are ready to focus on environmental efforts again until they get this under control. I agree with what you said completely. Even stronger, though, I'd like to talk about the parallels. To me, we could have been preparing for this, and now we have to kind of turn on a dime, and obviously we can't. It takes a year or so or more to develop a vaccine. Climate change is even longer to do anything about. It's a disease that's hitting our world, and we know it's here. We already have the signs. The symptoms are there. We can explain it with science, and yet we're not seriously working on that vaccine and putting the preventative measures in place. Yeah, I mean, and if you could draw those parallels for people, but then again, politics come into play. People are like, oh, well, people, A, don't, a lot of people don't believe this is a pandemic, right? And then those who do would then have to believe that the environmental train, which is moving, albeit more slowly in many cases, is similar in some respects. So there are some leaps that people have to make mentally, but for those who are convinced already, I mean, it's just like a harbinger of things to come. I will say the other parallel that I could draw is how these pandemics or challenges, environmental otherwise, will affect the most vulnerable among us. And I don't just mean older people, I mean poor people, those that uh, have lower access to uh, resources and or healthcare in this case, and how much worse it's been for them. And so the same thing will happen with the environment. The worst of it will be felt by the people who are lower on the economic ladder. I agree 100%. And it's just coming into play so obviously now. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about what you do at LISC and what LISC does? Absolutely. So LISC is probably easiest described as a bank for investing in underserved communities. And really the way we go about that is you have some individual nonprofits in at this point, 38 different states across the country. And it's sort of a roll up of those nonprofits. So what we do is We have those of our local offices and we provide capital and financial support for them to make investments into their communities. And so if I sort of bring it back to sort of layman's terms, what do we do? We take money from banks and national nonprofits and we invest it in building schools, federally qualified healthcare centers, infrastructure like that, playgrounds, et cetera. And then we also invested in grants and programs that support individuals to help them get access to opportunity that they need. And we also invest in businesses. So we invest in venture funds. But all of it is with a focus on targeting those populations that have been systematically disenfranchised by, if you read the color of law, federal policies for hundreds of years, right? And so what you've seen in this country is the concentration of wealth and capital into a few cities around the country. And that's left behind the rest of the country. And so we're trying to figure out how to redistribute that not just giving it away, but finding ways of investing in different places that could utilize those opportunities. We talked before that you also founded Hope Impact Investments and also co-founded Soul Systems. So can you talk more about your prior background? Yeah, I'll start with Soul Systems. Yuri conceived of the company and its idea and brought me in a couple of weeks after that. And we started figuring out how to run the company together. The company was a renewable energy platform with three parts. One was developing projects with customers. The other was trading solar credits. And the third was investing on behalf of institutional investors into solar. So the company did really well and was a great way of leaving. I'm not there anymore. So for me, leaving my footprints on my fight for renewable energy. And then about two years ago or a year and a half ago, I moved on to impact investing at LISC. On the side, I created Help Investment Group. And that is actually a little experiment I have 
that relates to really the African-American community. And what I saw in other communities, in the Jewish community and the Asian community, was there were these group of guys, angel investors, quote unquote, that would help to sort of fund early stage businesses for each other and sort of act as an economic center of activity. And given how African-Americans came here, we sort of had those networks broken. So this is an attempt to, for me to recreate that. And it's actually working out really well as a sounding board for, for men to be vulnerable, but also for us to work together and our companies to work together and to find investment opportunities together and to give back to our community. So I'm really excited about it. 15 members and it's done, it's done very well. Well, congratulations with that. Can you talk about setbacks you've had along the way? I know personally at Solstice's there were some setbacks, <laughs> but you can talk about whatever setbacks you want. My list of setbacks is so long. Uh, and, and none of that I mean, listen, I was a very privileged kid, came up in a good household, so it's nothing like personal setbacks. But on the business side, you know, I say to my kids, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough, right? And that is literally how I live my life. So I get more nervous when there aren't any setbacks and there aren't any challenges than I do on the reverse. I'll talk about the large setbacks that have happened in my life. And some of them, Lee, you've been privy to in soul systems with respect to at one point we had built our solar credit business tremendously and the markets just crashed on us and weren't able to pay everybody. And we had a sort of one shot chance of pulling things back together. And that was to pass new legislation in DC to recreate the market in DC. And we got it done and the company sort of recovered and then some and moved on to other things. So that was probably one of the most critical moments in my life in terms of setbacks. And then, you know, my new position here, we're always, we're trying to do new things. We're in COVID. COVID is another big setback, right? And what that does for investing in real estate or even businesses. So that's probably my most, most recent sort of setback or challenge. When you go through setbacks, what's so important is the investment you've made in your own mental health, but also your, your support network. And so spirituality, family, et cetera, just rely on that. And I had a saying on my computer a while ago, which was faith is taking the next step without seeing the full staircase. And I really honed my talent at doing that, which is just, I don't know how we're going to get there, but let's just keep pushing forward and something will happen. And, and knock on wood, it has more often than not. Yeah, I was just telling my family that one of the reasons I can take all these risks is because they give me so much support. And I know they're always there for me, fueling me. If I have that, I can really afford to take risks in other places. Yep. I think that's 100% the case. And you need to have that behind you. And honestly, even having a co-founder or having Yuri to work with, I'm the co-founder, he's the founder, but having him to work with, that just provided a lot of support too to have someone else to sort of lean on. Can you talk about the successes that you're most proud of? Man, I didn't know we were going to go so deep. <laughs> <laughs> Man, all right. Uh, what am I most proud of? I mean, honestly, starting at the core, like you said, back to the family, I've been married for 16 years now, and I'm most proud that I provided a stable environment for my kids to grow up in. If I don't do anything else, but they turn out okay, I feel like that's the most important. And then... You know, also personally, just sort of fitness and health wise, I'm proud that I've stayed in shape and, and stayed healthy through all the work that I've done. And then on the professional side, you know, you have all the accolades around, okay, I started a company, I grew it, it got invested in not once but twice and is now employing 80 some people and helping their lives as well. Put all that in one bucket and say, yes, professional accomplishments, you're happy with them, they're on your resume. I think 
What I'm probably most proud of, though, in, in sort of the summation is how I've gone about doing that stuff. So creating friendships, keeping positivity, showing respect to others, not cutting corners and trying to do things in sort of an underhanded fashion, being upfront with relationships, following through on promises. I think that's probably what I'm most proud of is that I've done it in a way that I can be proud of after the fact. With respect to climate change, where do you see the world, the country, 10, 20, 30 years out? Not to be pessimistic, but I think I see two futures. And I think, like in many aspects of things in the world, it will rely on the will of good men. I see a future where we start to take this stuff very seriously because we see sort of a hastening of the frequency of weird geological and weather-related events, and people start to take this seriously. And then I think it's I think we can fix it. I think it's a matter of directing appropriate amounts of capital towards technology that will help us change the way that we live and work on this planet. So I no doubt in my mind, I mean, even look at the response to COVID and how how much how much less greenhouse gas is being produced right now because people aren't driving all over the place or flying all over the place, right? I mean, I think we didn't talk about this. I'm sorry, but going back to COVID and how it relates to the environment, I mean, I was on a plane twice a week. Think about that footprint, right? And now I haven't flown in weeks and no one else is either. And, and what's that doing for the planet? And do I need to fly as much as I was? No, that my next question was going to be, what's the impact of COVID on that vision, if any? So you're, you're just doing two questions at once now. Oh, there you go. Oh, I'm always an overachiever. <laughs> no, uh, so, or I get lucky. How about that? I've always gotten lucky. So yeah, I think I'm hoping that we sort of learn some things from COVID that will help us sort of hasten that move towards a better engagement with the planet or relationship with the planet. In terms of the two visions of the future, one, we sort of depoliticize this stuff, we get back to a more normal world politically and otherwise, and we make the investments and we go after it. And it's not going to be great, but it won't be horrible. And we have a long way to go. The other is, and this is hard to tell, we politically move further in this direction of being polarized and we don't make those investments until it's beyond too late and it's not a good conclusion. And I think I would call it 50-50 at this point, which is different than what I would have said five years ago. What would you have said five years ago? I would have said 70-30, we move in the right direction. So you're, you're getting more pessimistic. Thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for that, George. I'm having enough trouble sleeping as it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Maybe I'm also just getting older. I don't know. <laughs> George, do you have any questions for me? What do you think is the appropriate, and I'll answer this question after you answer it. So it's a test. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> appropriate adjustments, lifestyle and otherwise, in a post-COVID environment to prevent pandemics like this from happening. I'll give you two answers. One is the concept of going into less connectivity, and the other is maybe not that, right? There's some people that say from now on, we shouldn't be on planes, whatever else. With that respect, where do you think we should head? So your, your answers are making me interpret the question a little bit differently than I was. I will say that while I've lost a lot because of the virus, not as much as most, by the way, but I have lost, I've also gained a lot because I feel more connected to my family, for example, because we're Zooming, my entire side of my family, we're Zooming every week now. We never did that before. We're actually looking at each other and talking about how we're doing my wife's side of the family, we're doing the same thing once a week. So that's a tremendous gain. 
a lot of friends that I don't talk to very often, now I'm talking to them more often. I'm using Zoom, we're looking at each other, we're talking, we're connecting, so I'm excited about that. But my initial response to your question is just, it's going back a few years, but we had a plan. I mean, it's possible to make a plan for this and be ready to deal with these things. I think looking ahead, we've just got to be ready like we once were and always could have been uh, by knowing these things are possible. And I will liken that to climate change, where we've done a lot of the groundwork. There's a lot of tremendous technology. There's a, so many people that are engaged in climate change mitigation right now. We just need to put it together and lead it because we are ready to go, uh, put the plans in place that we know are there. Here's what I've been thinking about as well. There's a strong desire, I mean, certainly before we get a vaccine, but even afterwards, I think folks are thinking, okay, how can we do more remotely and how can we decrease the number of potential touch points for something to spread? And I actually think that that is the wrong response. And I'll tell you why. I think a lot of the advancements we've made in the social agenda of this country have happened because people are interacting with people who are not like them, people who have different thought patterns, etc. And I have serious concern for distancing's, social distancing's effect on that empathy, which leads to you know, a lack of empathy leads to a lack of financial support for the type of work that we do and starting to spread around opportunity, et cetera. And the social agenda will slow down as well because people will be even more siloed and combine that with what's already a alternative news channel that most people are listening to. And now you have complete isolation with completely altered news. And I think it makes the population even easier to manipulate. And that's a big problem we've had thus far. So I hope that we, instead of distancing ourselves to solve for future pandemics, that we figure out whether it's technology or health practices that prevent the spread from the source as fast as it happened, or that we find other ways of working around this rather than just, hey, let's be more distant. Because I think that is a really bad thing for our society overall. Let me ask you another question. I said 50-50. Uh, you only get one question. Oh, one, one. No, okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. I said 50-50 on which, which world we end up in. What's your, what's your guess? Oh, this is a depressing question. My daughter might be listening to this. No, I'm going to be, I'm going to give you my honest feeling. Right. I think it's not a 50-50 one outcome devastation or another outcome. Everything is good. I think that there's going to be a range and the range is going to be dictated by how long it takes us to go all in on mitigating climate change. So if we really wait a long time, which I don't think we'll, we will wait a really long time, that if we do, then there could be total devastation that we just won't be able to deal with as a human race. If we go right now as hard as we can, and I think COVID has shown us that we could go super hard. We could put tons of money into yeah. something. We could band together and work together and, and solve the problem because we're working hard solving this problem, uh, both economically and scientifically. I think if we go right now, we can avoid the worst of it. We can, we're still going to have problems. You already have problems, but we can avoid most of it. So I guess I don't think 50-50. I think it's, it's a sliding scale. And unfortunately, I think the critical determinant determination point 
is when a lot of bad things happen. That's what gets us going. And at that point, we might be more into the yeah. larger effects than the smaller effects, if that's what it takes to get us going, like it did with this virus. So then you got to hope for some very catastrophic things to occur pretty soon. And then my last question for you. Three questions. Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, uh, if you had to pick one technology that you thought we should focus most on for helping to change this narrative or this journey we're on, which one would it be? I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm, I've answered this a number of times, and I still believe this is the case, and that is long-term storage. I was going to say storage. Good job. <laughs> hey, we're on the same page. And, ahead, and, no, and I'm going to make it a broad answer of storage also. To me, hydrogen. If we can create hydrogen from renewable energy, that's storage too. So I'll go really broad. I don't know what the answer is, and I think they should all be explored. We already are doing a very good job producing low-cost renewable energy, but we don't have a way to control that energy as much as we need to really solve the problem yet. And long-term storage is the way to do that. Yeah. And the other option could have been uh, waste to energy. I'm going to say waste to energy is long-term storage because you'll take garbage, for example, you'll take organic waste, you'll turn it into methane gas, you'll store that gas, and you'll have it to run traditional power plants only you won't be doing it by fracking. You'd be doing it by basically taking what would have been methane out of the atmosphere and putting it into our energy system. There you go. So I'm going to say they're both long-term storage. <laughs> <laughs> That's my well cop-out. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or say? No. Just that I think you're, you're great and everyone should listen to your podcast often. <laughs> and I will as well. All right, well, let me wrap this up, and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. Well, oh. losing the Earth will give you lots of fury, so you started Soul System with your camping buddy, Yuri. I'm sorry <laughs> if I was a bit snarky when I discounted Maslow's high archy. I agree that it's something we can't ignore. The impacts are greater for the pure, you're doing LISC for disenfranchised communities. You're trying to give them all sorts of opportunities. What you're most proud of is leading an honest, truthful life. And you want to make sure you have a stable environment for your kids and wife. You're full of integrity. You're full of truth. You do what you can. You want to be a mensch of a man. <laughs> You are concerned about the end of civilization and you think a big measurement will be polarization. And wow. you also think we're going to increase our troubles if we don't find a way to get out of our bubbles. Hey, I mean, I, I, you listen, I, I've, I've heard a lot of freestyles. I will say that was one of the most selective in terms of its word choice and uh, impressive that you could summarize a discussion so quickly that uh, you know we got to put a beat behind it because every other rap <laughs> needs a beat behind it if i put a beat behind it it'll be off beat <laughs> people have tried people have tried <laughs> you should listen to yuri's rap <laughs> hey i i need to do that and yuri likes to rap i mean he's not bad either i'm more of a beatboxer and singer but uh he yeah he's a, he's a decent rapper well, I didn't say I was decent. <laughs> you are. You are. I'll give you a decent mic. Boom. Damn. <laughs>
George said he's most proud of providing a stable environment for his kids to grow up in and that there's nothing more important than them turning out okay. And it seems to me that the other things he's proud of are fueled by that desire, balancing health with working hard, creating friendships, keeping positivity, showing respect to others, not cutting corners by doing things in an underhanded fashion, being upfront with relationships, and following through on promises. Great lessons for his children. It's not just what you accomplish, but how you go about doing it. Being a good person while achieving success. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at www.crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. We didn't discuss it very much, but in addition to his many professional accomplishments, George volunteers his time for a variety of Washington, D.C. area organizations, including the Washington Jesuit Academy and the HERO Initiative, both focused on youth education, Community Ministries of Rockville, which addresses the housing and financial needs of homeless and formerly incarcerated people, and Grid Alternatives, a nonprofit providing free solar installations to families in need and training workers from underserved areas to install those systems. Critical work to ensure we all have the opportunity to mitigate climate change.